When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, Michigan State went to Purdue hoping to pull off its biggest win of the season, but instead it was met with more Mackey nightmares and another helping of Zach Eadie dominance on Sunday. It's the latest result in what has been an up-and-down January for the Spartans. Another month that has featured a brutal schedule that is showing no signs of slowing down. How well-positioned are the Spartans to navigate the Big Ten gauntlet down the stretch? We will discuss that, as well as a new coaching hire for the football team on episode 101 of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. Brandon Champion, Kyle Austin, and Matt Wenzel with you on Monday, January 30th, 2023. Uh, Kyle, did you have a better time in West Lafayette than the Spartans did? Um, as good as of a time as one can have, uh, in West Lafayette, um, not, not my favorite big 10 town, but you know, what's really bumming me about this, this schedule now is I have to, I've been driving every single good NFL playoff weekend, you know, um, it's always like Michigan State in that time slot. And then last week I'm driving back from Indiana this week, I'm driving back from Purdue and then two weeks, Super Bowl Sunday, I got to drive through the whole Super Bowl. So, um, not a huge like guy, NFL guy, but like I don't know, everyone likes to watch the playoffs, right? And then the the schedulers are are not making it easy for me this year. Yes, CBS, uh, talk to CBS, man, because what is that? It's two weeks in a row that they've had a Michigan State basketball game as the lead into their playoff coverage. So uh, I, mm-hmm. I think I, I know who you need to talk. I mean, I guess that's good for the program in terms of eyeballs, but. Uh, you know, Michigan State lost both those games at Indiana at Purdue. It's good uh, for the yeah. program in terms of eyeballs, but I think it's a really bad schedule for fans because every weekend game is on the road, and the only home games they have are, are weeknight games. And it, if you got kids or if you're driving a couple hours, like, I mean, it's almost like pretty much all of January and February, like you're not going to be able to make a game. So it's, it's, I think it's probably a bummer for a lot of Michigan State fans that like to get to a game or two. Yeah. Matt, you went to West Lafayette last year for football. Between the two of you, you guys haven't found like the best pizza spot because you you rave about some of these places. But well, there's got to be somewhere worth visiting in West Lafayette. Um, I don't even remember where I stayed last year when I went to Purdue. It wasn't in West Lafayette. It was in some. Oh man, I can't remember the name of the town because it was too expensive. You know, it's ridiculous. But um, I need to get to the basketball arenas. I feel I was talking to somebody the other day, and like you know, I've. Oh, no, I've never been there. And it's like I've been to almost all these arenas outside <laughs> or maybe in the lobby to pick up a credential for football. But uh, actually seeing basketball games at them uh, is missing me. So I have been to Mackey as in I've been outside the building. So um, couldn't give you any pizza recommendations on West Lafayette. 
Uh, Nine Irish Brothers is a good Irish bar in West Lafayette if you're into that sort of thing. And Mackie, we'll we'll talk about it, but Mackie was unreal yesterday. Just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, per usual. And we'll get to that in a sec here. That's probably going to make up the bulk of the episode. But before we get to the Purdue game, Kyle, I just wanted to briefly touch on Michigan State's win against Iowa uh, during the week. 63-61, hard-fought game. Michigan State fell down early, battled back. Uh, these slow starts at home are a little bit concerning, I would say, Kyle, but uh, as is the, you know, their big man, Rabracha going off for 16 and 11, but that's a re- recurring theme for Michigan State too. Spartan Nation having to collectively hold their breath as Iowa gets two pretty good looks to win the game there at the end. Uh, what did you make of the Spartans' performance against Iowa in a game that I thought that they absolutely needed to have? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, just good enough. I mean, probably not a good performance, but um, I think they were relieved to actually win a game when they didn't play great. Uh, you know, we've talked about the margin for error. There's um, there's not a whole lot on this team. They used probably all of that they could in that game against Iowa and still come out for a win because you're right. I mean, Iowa got exactly what it wanted on that last possession and then got a bonus one because um, they got the offensive rebound. So a little bit lucky there. But, um, you know, Michigan State uh, got Malik Hall back somewhat surprisingly um, for that game and um, didn't have a huge stat line, but I thought he was big and kind of calmed everything down and um played well down the stretch um and, and closed it out so did what they needed to do and um you're right I mean I mean if, if they had dropped that one uh it would be like um I mean people would be losing their minds right now it would be what five of six um going to a kind of away game at Rutgers so um yeah they, they needed that one I thought it was a great play drawn up by Fran McCaffrey. I mean, Izzo, it looked like Aikens got caught up a little bit in the wash there. I know after the game, he didn't know exactly how they got so wide open. I mean, I think, I think Fran McCaffrey has been sitting on that play all year and just was pulling it out for the right moment. But uh, I don't know. Did did you guys revisit that at all? Because. No, not to, not beyond, Hey, I'm glad they missed it. I mean, sometimes I dig into plays. I, I didn't dig into that one other than they got lucky, but um, no, I mean, Michigan State was fortunate. And, you know, the other thing they were fortunate too is um, speaking of McCaffrey's Patrick uh, ended up coming back the next game. Um, he was in at East Lansing. Um, obviously he's not, he's not injured. Uh, he's just kind of working his way back, but he ended up sitting out that game and, uh, and I lost that close. A guy like him could have made a difference, but then Michigan state gets this guy back. So uh, Michigan state had some things that were fortunate uh, for it in that game. And for a team that hasn't had a lot go well for it. I think, um, I think Tommy sure said, we deserve to have that shot miss uh, given the bad luck that we've had this year. So that that's kind of how they, how they came down on it. Yeah. Kind of one of those, you know what? We won the game. We move on. You know, yeah. it's, you don't have to apologize for things. Uh, that's for sure. Malik Hall, you mentioned him coming back a little bit of a surprise. Uh, looked pretty good doing a lot of his, what he does, you know, moves, sharp post moves, strong moves on the block. Obviously we saw the dunk in transition that got the Breslin going and sort of uh, motivated the team a little more of a mixed bag. I would say against Purdue. I don't think he was aggressive. I didn't think he or Hauser were aggressive enough against Purdue. And I think Joey said as much after the game, but, uh, you know, Malik Hall coming back obviously is a huge lift for this team in, in so many areas. And you've seen him in person twice now. I mean, that dunk is obviously good evidence for it seems like he's back. But just from the eye test of looking at Malik Hall, would you say he's mostly back or does he still have a little bit to go? He is better than expected. And I think he's mostly back. And it's funny because after the Iowa game, when he did, you're right, play well, um, uh, look physically good. 
Izzo kind of cautioned me. He said, you know, that first game back, you can kind of go on adrenaline a little bit and you have a lot of emotion because it's your first one back. So he, he didn't seem shocked that he did what he did in the first game. He said, sometimes game two and the ones beyond that are a little bit tougher because you kind of have to settle back into the grind. You don't have that kind of first game uh, emotion and energy coming back. Um, so I don't think it was shocking to see him maybe take a little bit of a step back on Sunday. Um, and I think that's even more expected when game two is a road game at the number one team in the country um, in Mackey Arena. So I don't think anything to worry about him taking a step back. I don't think it was, had anything to do with his injury. I think it was just a tough game for everybody. And it's going to be a bit of a process, but, um, you know, he's a veteran. He didn't, you want to compare his, his injury and his situation to Jaden Aikens because it's the same injury and it's kind of, they both come back, both have setbacks, but Aikens was different because he had surgery and he missed like nine weeks of the preseason. So I think it really took him a long time to ramp up. He has that other four game pause he's got to get. So to me, he didn't really start looking like himself until a week or two ago. Whereas Malik Hall um, missed a lot less time, had already done the preseason. So he was in better conditioning. Um, so I, I don't think he took as big of a step back as far as his conditioning and his play while he was out. And um, and he's a guy that that is just so veteran savvy that um, I think he was able to make a pretty significant impact. And what happened on Sunday um, in West Lafayette aside, I think he's going to be a big boost for this team and, and an unexpected one. I mean, they went from thinking that he was going to be out for the season to three games later, he's back. Um, and, and they've got him for all of February now, barring any more setbacks. So I think that's a big boost for Michigan State. Absolutely. I mean, Michigan State, I believe, is a borderline tournament team without Malik Hall. So yeah. uh, even now, I mean, they're they're winning the games they're supposed to win. And they're they're losing the games that you would think they would lose. So they're they're kind of are doing like what we thought they would so far. And, you know, some of these games down the stretch, you know, you look at Ken Palm, they're all very projected to be very close games uh, obviously the one at Purdue I think was a 10 point spread going in so you know it's you kind of expected that but they're doing sort of what they thought we we're going to do but with Malik Hall Michigan State's chances of actually you know getting things together getting healthy and maybe making a run to the second weekend in March is possible without him I'm not even sure they're, they make the tournament comfortably so he is a big time difference maker let's get to Sunday not a great game for Michigan State Mackey Arena continues to be just an absolute house of horrors for Michigan State. They lose 77-61, hung with them early. Uh, you know, I would say maybe, what, seven, eight minutes into the game, Zach Eady goes on a run. Uh, Purdue gets a couple threes from guys that maybe aren't their best shooters. I mean, they had several, I would say, from guys who weren't what you would call their best shooters, and they knocked them down. This is just the stuff that seems to happen at Purdue, even when Michigan State has a very good team, or even when Purdue is just sort of like, okay, middle-of-the-pack team. It seems like whenever the Spartans go to Mackey, this kind of stuff happens. I mean, you've been in that arena many times, Kyle. You said it was electric off the top here. What is it about that building that Michigan State just can't seem to shake? I, I mean, for one, Purdue plays there. Um, uh, and Purdue's been a tough matchup for Michigan State lately. But, yeah, I mean, it's like it's every seat filled. Um, it's a smaller, like, footprint than, than a place like Assembly Hall. So they really do feel more, a lot more packed in. Not quite as many fans, but they're more packed in. They are kind of more on top of you. Um, they did the T-shirt game yesterday, so it's everybody in white being loud. And I guess that's the first time the student section has ever been seen a number one team. Because that brief stretch they had before them, number one, they lost to Rutgers. That was when the students were gone. So... Um, a very, very amped up and impressive student section. So, 
I mean, Michigan State has a lot of veterans. They've won in environments like that. And, and the way they started the game tells me that I'm not sure the environment got to them too much. I think Zach E um, just got to them too much. And um, to what you were talking about, basically what didn't happen at Bryceman Center when Michigan State almost got them happened at Mackey. And that's playing at home because you're playing on the road. They had guys um, hit their shots when they doubled um, right off the first play of the game. Ethan Martin, who they doubled off of, he's like a 20-something percent three-point shooter. He's the one guy they doubled off of the whole game at Breslin. Very first play of the game, kick it out to Ethan Martin, he hits a three. And it's kind of like, once that happens, it's like, you don't want to say the game's over, but it's like, okay, they're playing at home now. Guys that can't hit threes at Breslin are going to hit threes here. Um, And they only hit seven. That wasn't like the deciding factor of the game, but... Basically, overall, I thought everybody played a little bit better for Purdue, and and that was enough for Michigan State, which um, is only going to beat Purdue when it's not playing uh, particularly well. Yeah, and same thing with David Jenkins, their their yeah. backup point guard. There, I think he had what three of them, and he's about a thirty percent three point shooter. So, and when you have Zach Eady, who it's just ridiculous at this point. I mean, the guy did whatever the heck he wanted: seventy points, thirty rebounds between the two games against Michigan State. I mean, he's a seven, four monster. I mean, it's, there's not a lot of teams that can match up with Zach, Eady, but Michigan state just doesn't have the guys to do it. They're starting center six, nine. The two guys behind him are freshmen. Uh, Kohler has a similar build to Sissoko. Carson Cooper actually, I think did the best on him, you know, probably yeah. just because he's the biggest of them. I mean, Michigan state simply didn't have a matchup. They tried to double him more this time. And like we said, Purdue shooters made uh shot. So like, I know Tom Izzo was like, this is my fault when a guy goes off for you like this, but, what else could Michigan State have done on this guy with their current roster? Uh, not very much. Um, I mean, Zach Eady's 38 points and 70 points in the combined. To me, it's a combination of who they recruited to play center for them this year. Like, this was a known deficiency uh, going back to the summer. Um, and we can we can rehash the whole not adding a big man thing if you want, because Tom Izzo went uh, – had a lot to say that. about that last <laughs> week. Um, but the fact is that this, I mean, you have basically your top two centers are both 6'9", 240. Um, you're going to struggle to defend it. But I also think, yes, Izzo did double ED in both games. He doubled him a little bit more on Sunday. But um, I don't know. You probably watch more Purdue than I do. I'm guessing he Izzo doubled him less than most because ED came into the interview room, in a interview room yesterday and said, yeah, I was expecting – like a hard double every single touch. And he said it didn't come and he was surprised and and took advantage of it. And obviously there's logic to that is always, we've been over this. He, he's more afraid of the three than the two. Um, he'd rather let Zach Eady get 30 than let Fletcher lawyer or Braden Smith go off. Um, and to his credit that almost worked um, and he's lancing, but um, I, I thought, um, you know, obviously it didn't work yesterday because um, they didn't double him a whole lot. He he was able to score over any Michigan State center one-on-one with ease. And um, even when they did double, he was, I thought he made a couple passes out and um, it, just nothing worked. What did you make of Izzo's comments? We might as well, I mean, we talked about it at length last pod about, you know, how they didn't go get a transfer big and how it could have been easier said than done and whatever. But I mean, he, he addressed it at length, honestly, last week. Which, yeah. Matt Charbonneau from the Detroit News decided to throw a grenade in the middle of the press conference and we ended up going <laughs> going an hour and then some overtime after. Um, but, um, I, I mean, it, it was nothing that we haven't heard before, um, just in terms of him feeling like um, 
you know, he's not going to recruit over his guys. He made them a promise when he recruited them that he was going to give them a chance. And as long as they're, you know, working on improving and holding up their end of the bargain, it's not fair to them to recruit a guy over them. And I get that in a lot of circumstances. Here's my one place where I disagree with him in this, in the center um, discussion. Julius Marble was supposed to be the starting center on this team. Um, when you ended last year, he's not a guy that you thought was going to transfer. Um, he he kind of transferred late in the cycle. It wasn't um, he's upset thing. That was a whole family issue. So um, you lose the guy who probably would have been your starter and was your most experienced returner. I don't think you're doing a disservice to Mani Sissoko or, or anybody else by recruiting somebody of Julius Marvel's caliber um, to, to come in as a transfer. Um, and maybe he starts and you just have to tell Mani, hey, we had a guy leave and I'm replacing him um, and his minutes. And you're in the same situation you would have been. Um, and maybe Mahdi or or somebody doesn't like that. Um, but I don't think that's unfair if he would have chosen him to do that. Now, if you've got all the same guys coming back and you decide these guys aren't good enough, I want to get a new guy. I mean, I understand that's philosophically what Tommy is not going to do. But I, I, I think that you are, you should be allowed to, under these rules that Tommy Zerg has set for himself in the transfer portal, you should be allowed to replace guys that leave. Um, and they did, but it was with Carson Cooper, um, who is a freshman and obviously coming in at the bottom of the rotation and replacing a guy who was at the top. So um, that's where I, di- I disagree with Tom, but I, he felt like even even with Julius Marble leaving, basically would have been unfair to the two guys um, who returned. So I don't know, maybe you guys feel differently, but that's kind of hey, what I come down on it. Compete to play, compete to stay, Kyle. doesn't. <laughs> I've heard that so Talk a lot, so I mean. Well, he did say that he will have, the guys will have a shorter leash now. So he did kind of hint that like, you know, maybe he's not going to stick with guys as long. So I don't know. He's got a great recruiting class coming in next year. I really do think Xavier Booker's recruitment had something to do with this. Oh, not, that bring, not that bringing in like a one, a one year guy really should have affected that all, all that much. But I really do think that Tom was really, you know, like we'll, we'll survive this year and look to next year with one of the best big, freshman big men in the country coming in. Uh, Matt, you chimed in there a little bit. You watched these games last week. What do you make of Michigan state? It's, it's a lot of up and down with this team where they seem like they, at times could be one of the top teams in the big 10, but then, you know, in games like Purdue, these, you know, they're half court offense, they're guarding the post, like deficiencies pop up. Yeah. I mean, you guys touched on a lot of this, you know, I thought Malik Hall gave them, you know, a pretty significant lift against, uh, against Iowa. Um, Madi, I thought, you know, had a, had a good game uh, for the most part, you know, a double, double kind of a bounce back after, you know, a little rough stretch there. Um, And then (laughs) I don't know that there's really a whole lot I'm gonna I can add about uh, about yesterday's game at Purdue. I mean, it was. I guess one thing that hasn't been mentioned that I don't think it was mentioned was were they down at one point twenty and then they made the run. What did they get it to like eight or ten? And you know, I thought like you know you showed you know granted that was when Zach Eady was uh, was sitting on the bench. So uh, obviously there's that caveat, but you know for you know in that environment and you go down that big, you're getting just absolutely housed. Um, you know, they showed some grit, some fight to get back in it before uh, the big guy checked back in and, and they put it all away. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of more the same. Like I said, a little it's an up and down season and uh, a little up at, against Iowa and a uh, pretty big down uh, at Mackey. How good is Purdue without Evie, Kyle? Not very. Um, yeah, I know. Like, right? like his backup, I don't even remember his name. His backup isn't anything special. I, I guess they've got like another seven footer coming. Um, so they'll be, of course they do. You know, they got the whole succession. So I'm sure they'll be a, the Edie successor. But yeah, they're very different with him out. And they're lucky that 
A, he doesn't foul. Um, and B, he's like the unicorn big man that can play like 30 something minutes a game. Um, like he's pretty unbelievable in those two senses. And I know like he, you know, it was, it wasn't until what, like five minutes left yesterday that he finally fouled. Like I know Michigan state fans thought that was a big conspiracy. Like I saw a bunch of that, but it's like, you don't have a post presence that, mm-hmm. you know, can back him down and, and finish into him. So I, um, I didn't think that was a big deal, but I, I'm, I'm willing to write. I mean, I don't know. I know that it was a big loss and it was a big environment and it was a big opportunity for Michigan state, but like, I don't take a whole lot out of um, that as far as big picture for Michigan state. I mean, it's a number one team in the country, most unique team you're going to play as far as personnel, probably the most difficult environment you're going to play all year. Like, I don't think it says much more beyond that Purdue's a really good team, frankly. Yeah, I, I agree. Trey Kaufman Wren, I believe, is that best yes. stuff that, that you're looking for. Um, yeah, it's Purdue. I mean, and Zach Eady, like I know some state fans, you know, like whenever you get like a big guy like this, who's he's just big, is what fans like to say. You know, they just want to take away from him. But what I see from Zach Eady is a seven four guy that is moving better than a seven four guy should be able to up and down the court. Uh, his passing out of the double teams has improved significantly. Mm-hmm. So I kind of disregard some of those counts. Yeah. Does being seven, four help obviously, but I kind of toss that aside when people say, Oh, he's only good because he's big. Because what I've seen is freshman year. Yeah. Zach Eady was good because he was big. Now his game has developed and it's okay to, to give a guy credit with that. He's the runaway favorite for national player of the year right now. Michigan state does not have the guys to defend him. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, is Michigan t- state taking bad shots, Kyle? They're, they're 280th in the country in two point field goal percentage. Obviously some of that has to do with not having a post presence and getting easy looks in the post. A lot of long twos though. A lot of mid range twos that every coach is, is willingly giving them. I think they gotta be more aggressive getting to the basket. Holgard can do it. Akins can do it. Malik Hall can do it. You know, it, they, yeah. Tyson Walker, that's his game. Mid range pull-ups, pull-up threes, whatever. Joey Hauser, we've seen him get to the basket. I think he said it for the game. He needs to be more aggressive. I just think that they're relying way too much on jump shots right now. Uh, so I, I broached this topic with Tom Izzo last week during that same fun press conference I, I referenced, and uh, he didn't uh, he didn't appreciate the topic. Uh, let's put it that way, um, because yes, I mean you look at at the data they have taken more long three more long twos than any team in the country except Georgetown which is not a good team to be in a sentence with. <laughs> you so, don't want to be in any sentence. No, with you don't want to be in a sentence no. with Georgetown. So, um, yes. And I like, obviously the way basketball has gone on the analytics, everyone's trying to do, or most teams are trying to do um, threes and threes and layups, threes and dumps if you can. Um, that's the goal. Uh, and Michigan state is kind of against the grain in an old school fashion. So my, my question for Tom, it was basically like, is this you seeing, value and mid-range maybe where other coaches don't or is this just your personnel like this is what what your team is um and he made it sound like it's more more personnel for for the reason that you said they don't have a post presence um they they don't have a fast break right now really um or at least not one like they've had which would create more layups um and they struggle to get to the hoop i think they should be able to do a little bit better than they did. I thought AJ Hogard did a better job of it um, against Purdue, but um, they've struggled to do that um, and, and they're not getting there regularly. So yeah, I mean, they're sort of settling for a lot of long twos. Uh, Tyson Walker um, 
a, uh, Jaden Akins had one where he pumped fake a three, got wide open and took like, you know, a half step in front of the line um, for a two, you know, stuff like that happens all the time. But there are coaches out there that um, would lose their mind over that sort of stuff because it's inefficient. But Tommy Zoe, um still sees it, you know, he, he doesn't seem to have as big of a problem with it. And um, their offenses, yeah, their field goal percentage isn't great. I don't think it's, you know, they shot four, what, 47 yesterday. So it's not like a five alarm fire or anything, but Yes, it's something that has caught my attention, but I don't think um, I don't sense it's a large priority within the Bridgman Center coaching offices, considering I asked Tom about it and he basically chided me about it for the rest of a 30 minute press conference. So. <laughs> Way to do your job, Kyle. God, well, it, it, it's it's an overall antip- antithesis towards um, towards analytics, frankly. Yeah. And that's we could do a whole pot on that, but um <laughs> They're, they're, they're a little dubious of analytics in the, uh, in the president center coaching offices. I don't like to hear that, man. It's 2023. You got to embrace yeah. it at least a little bit. So, um, well, we'll get to uh, the football, new football hire here in a sec. Last thing, Michigan state heads to Rutgers on Saturday. Actually they had to New York city at Madison square garden. Like you mentioned the t-shirt game at Indy or uh, at Purdue. I think Illinois had a t-shirt game. Michigan state is always the damn t-shirt game, Kyle. Now they get the special treatment of playing at Madison square garden. Like, this is a I good one, though. Yeah, but I guess, yeah, that's true. Not having to play at the rack is is not a bad thing. But, like, I don't know. I guess it's, I guess it's kind of a compliment to Michigan State's program that they're often the big game for these opposing teams. But uh, Rutgers, you know, they seem to have distanced themselves as the second-best team in the Big Ten. Although Indiana is coming on, Kyle, uh, right now. And I know that we sort of like to usher them off to the side. But they are playing pretty good ball right now. But this is going to be a tough game for Michigan State to go win at Rutgers. But, yeah. Nice not to have to play at the rack. And no, I will not call it Jersey Mike's arena. That's not happening. Uh, first of all, Indiana will fade um, at some <laughs> point. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in Indiana yet. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I mean, they did catch a break because um, there's going to be a lot more Michigan state fans at Madison square garden than there would have been at the rack. And the rack's been almost as much of a house of horrors as Matthew has been. So I thought that was a pretty significant break for Michigan state. Um, getting that game there. Um, Rutgers, I mean, they, I, that was the game where I thought they got lucky that Rutgers missed a ton of open shots. So um, that that might be hard to replicate. But what I'm kind of looking at big picture with this team going forward is I think most of their toughest schedule is going to be behind them after Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. And they've got Malik Hall back. Yeah, Saturday might be a tough one. And then that would be uh, what are, one, two, three, four, five five or seven losses. So yeah, people will be freaking out after that. But after that, you've got Maryland at home. You've got Ohio State away. And the computer numbers, for some reason, love Ohio State. I know you're a recent Ken Palm convertee. They stink. Um, they stink. Yeah, they've lost like seven of eight now. And they're still like, um, they're still top 30 Ken Palm. Like I, I like to think that I have some sort of grasp of the numbers, but every single, every once in a while, there's a team like Ohio state that I'm just completely baffled by. Um, so they go to Ohio state, which I think is a good opportunity for a win. the computers would disagree. Then you got your Minnesota game. Um, then you got Michigan away. Yeah. Winning at Chrysler is tough. But Michigan's shuttling too. So you've got four or five games right there where I think you can start to go on a little February run. And I think it's a lot easier than anything they've done so far um, in, in big 10 plays. So um, I, I think it's, it's setting up last year. They really kind of faded in February um, this year. I think things are setting up for them to, 
to start getting it together a little bit uh, in mid-February. I would hope so, man. This schedule has been relentless this year. And Michigan State, you know, it wasn't helped by the fact that they drew, you know, Northwestern Maryland and Minnesota once this year. Like, so they they got a brutal draw even in Big Ten play. Although Northwestern. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But it's still Northwestern, Kyle. I mean, it's not like this. No, Maryland, Minnesota, I'll give you that. That's definitely um, (laughs) not a break. Yeah. So, I mean, and to to go along with just the schedule they had in the non-con, it's just, it seemed like it's been like a constant, you know, barrage of games for Michigan State, which theoretically could help them down the road if they can string some wings together in February. Like you mentioned, the schedule, I would say, does lighten up a bit uh, down the stretch here. So it will be interesting to track. But anything else on basketball or should we get to the football coaching news? Uh, no, I think uh, I think I'm ready to hear about this new uh, football assistant coach. Me too. Michigan State has filled the D-line vacancy uh, left by Marco Coleman going back to Georgia Tech. Uh, they hire a guy from from Stanford who apparently Mel has some strong ties to uh, there, Matt. But uh, let us know who the newest member of the Michigan State coaching staff is and uh, what this might mean for the program. Excuse me. Yeah, uh, Eron Reynolds, who uh, spent the last seven seasons as the D-line coach at Stanford, and he's got more than – 25 years of coaching experience, kind of like Mel, the mixture of uh, college and the NFL. I think he kind of likes that mix. We saw that with with Marco Coleman. Um, Coleman hasn't been coaching as long. He had more of a of a, an illustrious playing career before getting into coaching. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of a maybe because more of a blueprint Mel likes, you know, with that guys with that mixed experience. And I don't think that hurts in recruiting, obviously. Um, you know, he's worked for some big names in coaching, Tony Dungy, Jim Caldwell, Leslie Frazier, David Shaw, obviously at Stanford. Um, so yeah, he's got, he's got some interesting stops. You know, he played at Wake Forest. He was a linebacker, but he does have a little bit of experience with the big 10. He, he coached uh, D tackles at Indiana in 2001. Um, you know, his other stops were at his alma mater at Indiana with the Colts, Dolphins, Vikings, Stanford, uh, when he went back to college, he spent one season at Oklahoma when they made the playoff and then uh, back to Stanford since. So, you know, he's been on coaching staffs with all Americans and pro bowlers and, and stuff like that. He, he, he won a ring with the Colts um, as a quality control coach. So nice mixture of experience. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what he can do with uh, the group they have, you know, a good amount of turnover. And, and they brought in some, uh, obviously, you know, three new defensive linemen from the portal, and they had a pretty good recruiting class with a trio of uh, three-star defensive, I'm sorry, a trio of four-star defensive ends that uh, signed last month. Seems like another hire that was made with recruiting in mind, and he's probably going to work in tandem with uh, Brandon Jordan then? Yep, yep, but uh, I mean, it's kind of a similar deal, Um, but, you know, worth noting, this will be the third straight year Michigan State has a different defensive line coach which I, I don't know if that's ideal um but different voices you know you had Ron Burton for what 11, 10 years 11 years or whatever it was um then Marco and now uh now you got another guy and then I don't know we'll see um but uh the, whoever's in charge of that front is going to need to be a little bit they're going to need that group to be better against the run this season uh to say the least that was uh not a strong suit of the team last season that's an that's an understatement Ron Burton just got hired by Tulsa, I think. Yep. Actually, yep. I, I saw, saw that. It. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, so. Mel's got you know, barring any departures, uh, he's got his ten on-field assistants put together. I know they've been out recruiting um, on the road, and uh, you know, while winter strength program started, well, I think tomorrow will be two weeks into it, and you know, they'll carry you into 
spring practice and go from there. We're also we're, uh, supposed to talk to some of the mid-year enrollees on Wednesday. So uh, next time we do a pod, we can have a update on uh, what we hear from them. Speaking of updates, <laughs> we have an update on Tunnelgate, which I wish just never happened, Matt. But <laughs> here we are still talking about it in January. Uh, but I guess, you know, some notable updates on the legal side of things. Uh, yeah, so I was in court on Friday uh, morning in Ann Arbor on Octavian Tank Brown, um, Angelo Gross, Justin White, and Brandon Wright. Those four guys who were all charged with, uh, you know, misdemeanor assault um, entered a plea, pre-plea diversionary program. Um, and if you've never heard of that, <laughs> that's uh, understandable. I had never heard of it before. I first heard what was going to uh, go on this week uh, or last week. Um, but basically, it's something they started at the 15th District. Well, the Washtenaw County Prosecutor started it in 2021, if I remember that right. With it's kind of, They kind of work in conjunction with the probation department. Um, so it's unique in that it basically is an agreement that operates outside the court. And it's like between your, your, you know, your defendants and the prosecutor's office where they set up a individual plan for, for each person. Um, basically like you do community service and, and whatever they, they set up for you. And that's the first step towards the charges ultimately being dismissed. So long as everything goes well, these charges will be dropped is, is what, um, that's the path that this is on. Um, so six months from now, so right about the time, you know, fall camp starting, you know, these these guys, uh, at least one of the lawyers said, or a couple of the lawyers said they expect to be back in court about six months and the charges will be formally dropped. And so just to reiterate, you work with the probation office in this instance, but you're not on probation. That's, that's worth noting. And the judge on Friday also lifted a previous bond condition that pre- prohibited these guys from having contact with each other outside of football related activities or when their attorneys were present. Um, didn't think that was fair. So we have, uh, that's, so there's, there's four, Harry Crump, we already touched on, you know, he took a plea. He's going to be sentenced tomorrow. Um, probably not going to jail, obviously. Uh, and then there's Jacoby Winman and Zion Young are the other two who's um, charged. They're still working their way through the court. All right. Well, there's your update on Tunnelgate. Obviously an unfortunate situation for everyone involved, but it seems like we're getting closer to, to everyone putting it behind them and hopefully learning from the situation because it was obviously not something that was good for, for Michigan or Michigan State, really. So uh, hopefully cooler heads will prevail in the future. That's going to do it for today's episode of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. Uh, Michigan State basketball back in action on Saturday at noon on Fox, Madison Square Garden against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Michigan State could pull that one off. That would be a big-time win for the, for the program moving forward as some of these road games, if Michigan State wants to pad that resume, they're going to have to find a way to, to win some of these down the stretch. But as Kyle mentioned, the schedule is lightening up at least a little bit by their standards. So Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel, I'm Brandon Chamberlain. Thank you once again for listening to Live Smart and Confidence Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. And go Green!